So, a couple of things. Uh, so, uh, yes, I add a little bit of uh, part of the interview, for example, uh, interview. Okay, so during the interview, let's think about infections. I'm not going to criteria, John's criteria, the measure, or that, no, I'm not going to do that. This is medicine, okay? But remember, infective endocarditis. Any, do you use any uh, recreational drugs that you inject yourself with these or you share needles with somebody else? And you can ask this to a patient that is uh, suffering from a, you know, a terrible condition of the valves of the heart, right? Infective endocarditis. Any fever, why? Because fever is the most common manifestation of infection. And you study what, what um, inflammation is. Fever is a systemic inflammation. So here you go. Most common, most common clinical manifestation of infection is fever with its characteristics. I'm not talking about senior citizens and so. I mean, very old people, they, they lost the possibility to develop fever in front of, uh, you know, infectious uh, aggression and so. Any lesions that you have been able to see in your nails, in the sole of your feet, in the palm of the hands, uh, I'm talking about all of these stigma for endocarditics like uh, Jane away, uh, lesions and, and splinting hemorrhaging in, in, the, in the nails and uh, Osler node and all of this. Okay? Since when, you know, the whole thing. Because in order to complete a good HPI, you will need to ask a lot of questions, right? But you need to place yourself in a scenario in which your patient is having maybe an aortic regurgitation, but it's not in acute distress at this point. So uh, you need to go into, I mean, and arrive into this uh, um, diagnosis. Because if the patient is, is suffering from, for example, let's say, after this problem with endocarditis for many years, this valve is useless, and so the heart suffered, right? And here you go, cardiac or heart failure. Then we need to know what failure we have in front of our eyes. What kind of failure, failure is, if it's one to four, Okay, and uh, for example, okay, if we have the first or heart failure one, you can say, is when you have this shortness of breath or chest pain, 
at very high effort, right? You are, I don't know, doing push-ups or whatever. So you have this, this manifestation of chest pain and shortness of breath. It's different. And the second, you know, and the third and the fourth, when talking is bad for you, or when you are laying down in, in resting and you have shortness of breath or, or and, and as well, you have, uh, it's gonna be able, you're gonna be able to develop chest pain. So this kind of heart failure could get worse, okay? And we, uh, we can have a case like this, right? A case in which uh, the heart failure at this point is in a crisis. Then you need to compensate your patient, right? You will need to compensate your patient. And you have a bunch of medication to do this. And they are, they are like uh, separated in class one, class two, class three. Sorry to put some salt in the wound. But it is important for us to know when to use them. When to avoid this remodeling of the heart because when you talk about remodeling of the, of the myocardium, we are talking about the fibrosis that is taking care of this myocardium. Afterward, you don't have a heart, right? So all of this is important when you talk to your patient. Look at the importance of the question. Your, your chest pain or your shortness of breath, they come when you do this, 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 or that. At rest, a mild effort, okay? A medium effort, or when you simply are in the gym, you know, lifting weights or something. It's different, it's totally different because the approach to this patient is different, you know? And this heart failure that maybe is chronic at this point could turn acute decompensated and when this is decompensated we need to do something else with the patient right we need to give the patient oxygen with the to patient uh, need to give the patient some other drugs we need to support the patient because at that point maybe my patient is in shock and we need to support my patient with what huh the butamine Okay, this, this, uh, this, this kind of medication. So, uh, are you following me? Mm -hmm. It's the same. In one scenario, you are interviewing your patient in um, maybe internal medicine office. In the other scenario, you receive your patient in ER. And you need to act because there is a lot of mechanism of compensation for uh, heart failure. And we know that almost all of them are bad because even if these ventricles are secreting enough amount of brain natriuretic peptide, what is happening? We have another substance that break down brain natriuretic peptide. And we need to use a substance or a medication to block the action of this substance breaking down the brain natriuretic peptide. And we need to reinforce that medication <laughs> It's like, it's terrible, right? 
At the end, we're going to need a transplant, right? So another question for your patient is, any surgery of the heart, any cabbage surgery, or any calf lab in the last five years, in the last two years, in the last six months, okay? Any prosthetic substitution of a valves? Why I'm asking you this, guys? Because we have several ways to substitute a valve of the heart, okay? And we are using a biological valve. We are a, a piggy one, I mean, one from the, or we are using a, a, a metallic valve, and we are using some other, it's not the time, okay? Then if it's a young person, when you ask could take your patient, Okay, when you also could take your patient, if it's a very young person that, uh, that received this valve, you may hear the click, 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 click. And that means that your patient is in compliance with the medication your patient needs to take. Understand? If the patient says, I got a prosthetic valve, a metallic one, like 10 years ago, and when you also could take your patient, you don't hear the click, this is a bad thing. You know why it's a bad thing? Because, because it's, it's clogged, it's, it's, it's not working properly. And of course, if this prosthetic valve is not working properly, uh, mm, we can have a complications, right? So, it's good for the interview, and it's good, very good, when you also could take your patient. Because maybe your patient doesn't know which valve was substituted, but if you ask your patient about the, any, um, any history of rheumatic fever in your tender uh, when you were a teenager, or back in the day when you were in Cuba, or in Nicaragua, or in Guatemala, or in the, in the Midwest here, okay? Did you follow the treatment with penicillin at that time? Did you know? And of course, during the physical exam, on top of all of this skin and so, we need to go and check the, fundu the fundus of the eye as well. In every, every, every single patient of cardiovascular pathology, every single patient, you need to check the fundus of the eye, okay? And think about this, complications, right? Think about complications. Think about differential. We need to differentiate if it's systolic, or diastolic. And systolic is when the heart is dilatated, cannot contract properly. Huh? And systolic is when we have a rigid hypertrophic ventricle that doesn't permit this amount of blood that we need to send this blood, oxygen blood, all over the body, for example. Easy, easy to understand that. Because in a, in a very, very, you know, Close fist, you cannot receive anything. Okay, so this is my 
diastolic insufficiency. I cannot receive blood here. If I don't receive blood, I cannot send this blood. If I don't send the blood, the perfusion of the body is going to diminish. If I don't send the blood, what is going to happen to the blood pressure? It's going to diminish. <laughs> and then all the mechanisms, you know. All these compens compensatory mechanisms that makes things worse, for sure. Okay, I don't need to go with that because this is part of physiology and all of this. Da, 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 da. So, mm, edema, and uh, we need to know if it's spitting or not, but we talked about this already. What else I want to go over? I mean, uh, these are the tables from the, the book. They are very complete. I added to the PowerPoint, okay? But uh, we're gonna go over this syncope again in neurology, just uh, showing you that the situation with the syncope and the mechanical damage of the heart, this is the first cause of death, okay? When the heart is damaged, when the heart is failing as a pump because mechanical damage. What are the mechanical damage I'm talking about? We have the valves that are not in compliance and we have the tissue of the myocardium that is not working properly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then we have this uh, fibrillation and so that can give you syncope as well, right? Here you go. Okay, just, just want to point this part. And some other things that can resemble in syncope. People that are in anxiety, very anxious, and they maybe develop a panic attack, they are hyperventilating. So we have, uh, during hyperventilation, <sighs> this uh, hyperapnea instead of, I mean, it's much better than hyperventilation because hyperventilation has another connotation. You're gonna study this with Professor Slocum, but anyways, you are in anxiety, you're, you're expelling too much CO2. And CO2, we need that in order to continue breathing because it's the stimulus we have to fire the respiratory center. So this factory is amazing, okay? The hypertension, the primary, the secondary hypertension, all of these, uh, we talk about this already. And I want to, uh, uh, oh, hepatojugular reflux. Discussion, arguments, no this, no that, 1880. Uh, a group of people says that was one guy, the other says that was the other, you know, I don't care. The thing is that when you press firmly the abdomen of somebody that looks like having a heart failure, mainly for the right heart uh, failure, you're gonna see how the jugular venous pressure is gonna increase. Sometimes some people says, oh no, you know what? 
is much better with the patient sitting. So mother says with the patient and supine flat. Mm -hmm. Then uh, by pressing the abdomen, you're gonna see how the jugular venous pressure are gonna go and be sustained for, uh, for, for some time over the clavicle, mm -hmm. for example, with the patient flat. Or when you have this patient in 90 degree angle, you have this jugular venous pressure very high and it's sustained for some time. Sometimes you have an elevation in a normal person, one to three centimeters of water, um, one, one or, uh, to three centimeters, right? And uh, for 30 seconds, and this is normal. Because guys, it's the mechanism of compression of the abdomen that send the blood into the chest, right? Make sense? The problem is when we have a ventricle that is not compliant. If the ventricle is not compliant with this amount of blood that is coming, what is gonna happen is the atria is gonna suffer from this backflow. And on top of this, what happened to the internal jugular vein? Because we have just one little valve close here, close to, I mean, very close to the sigmoid sinus, uh, a little bit lower. So this valve doesn't permit to go, I mean, the blood to go <laughs> into the brain. But yes, it's got, you, you, you're gonna see this wave up, wave up. Huh? if you're suspicious because you have a case and you're suspicious that your, your patient is having this uh, uh, right heart failure, why not to press the abdomen? Where to press the abdomen? Remember we talked about this the other day and I told you, okay, the liver, the congested liver is mainly painful, right? Then we need to avoid to compress the area when it's painful. Because these people, they have an hepatomegaly, okay? They, they are so in so bad conditions. By compressing the periumbilical area, just with the firm pressure is enough. It's enough. You, you have the same effect on the amount of blood going into the chest. Understand? Okay, are we good? So. More than 10 seconds that you see this wave up. Here you go. This is positive. And at the very beginning, <laughs> they, were, they were arguing about the left ventricular insufficiency uh, as a predi predic predictor. And today I read an article, a very nice one, that this uh, reflux, uh, abdominal reflux or hepatojugular reflux or abdominal jugular reflux uh, sign is, is a good predictor at the time you want to uh, um, say that the patient go home, you know? When you want to discharge your patient from, from uh, emergency. It's a good predictor. A, a huge study. If you want, I can send it to you. It's, it's very interesting, okay? Oh yes, we have ultra echocardiogram is one of the things we're gonna do. But remember guys, 
the first thing, the first way, or the first time you diagnose a heart failure is using the clinic, is using the interview of your patient, is using what you obtained during the physical examination. Later on, you can do whatever you want, chest x-ray, brain naturopathy peptide, uh, echocardiogram, whatever you want. But the first approaching is a clinical diagnosis. Okay, you're missing this, you're missing the big picture. That's why pH are so important. It's not validating, it's not being, uh, you know, simple, what is the other word? Empathetic with pH. It's because you see the patient. You are with the patient, you palpate the patient, you also could take the patient, you squeeze the patient to obtain every information from your patient. I'm a doctor myself for many years, and I was doing what you're, you're gonna do because the formation is different. But here is, no, it's, uh, they work defensively, they, I don't know, they are thinking about Sue all the time. It's not justifying them. And we are servers, we are servants, you know? We need to be humble because we are dedicated to save lives. We are servants, as a waiter that serves you food, this is our area of expertise. Think about this. This is what you sworn for the other day. So, cool small thing, uh, sign. Many of you know this already. And as we were uh, talking the other day with uh, Mr. Zizer here, you know, Kuzmao's sign is a very important characteristic when you have a patient that is having a pericarditis, right? Or if effusion is constricted, pericarditis is, is something that doesn't, and it's very easy to determine because remember when we inspire what happened to the JVD? goes down. If physiologic, the blood instead of make a wave in the internal jugular vein, is going to the atrium, right? And then you see this totally or almost empty. But in the case of this patient, every time they are inspiring, they have an elevated JVP. So it's kind of different, right? during inspiration. Uh, classically, yeah, with constrictive pericarditis, restrictive uh, uh, cardiomyopathy as well. You can see the, the Kussmaul sign. Don't make, don't make a mistake, don't, don't get confused. Kussmaul, we have a pattern of breathing, that is Kussmaul. We have Kussmaul sign, and we have two more Kussmaul, but it's okay. Okay, this guy was, I mean, was forgetting the, the, the wife. <laughs> okay, so right ventricular myocardial infarction with this ventricle failing, right? Massive pulmonary embolism. 
massive pulmonary embolism. Where the blood is gonna go if everything is tapped, right? Oh. And uh, right heart failure, of course, superior vena cava obstruction, and uh, the myxoma, right? This tumor, uh, this cardiac uh, tumor. So, full small sign, hepatojugular reflux. You need to have this in your mind, okay? This, these are two things very important, okay? So, let's go back to the other thing. Uh, over here. Okay. We know that the the right. Let's talk about the right heart and the valve we have there. The valves we have the tricuspid valve, right? Part of the atrioventricular valve together with the mitral, and we have the semilunar pulmonic valve. Okay. So, atrioventricular valves close. Right? And by closing, we have the S1. Okay? Lock. The, the S1 sound. Oh, who's gonna, um, uh, who's gonna close harder over there? What do you think? Huh? The mitral. It's gonna close harder. It's gonna, so here you go. Where are you gonna hear this much better? Apex. At the apex, okay? Then we have the abnormalities. And um, this is the ventricle, ventricular impulses. I mean, ventricular impulses is the same. Remember the PMI? This is a very good one, okay? The duration, amplitude, diameter, location, the causes that can give you that, uh, when the volume is overload, when the pressure is overload, um, all these uh, regurgitation. Regurgitation is the same as insufficiency. Okay, don't get confused. If we talk about aortic insufficiency, this is aortic regurg, because the valve isn't sufficient, just the Blood is gonna backflow to where? Backflow. To the left ventricle. Yeah. And then the, the left ventricle is receiving the blood from the left atrium right. and the backflow from the aorta, no way. And needs to work more, needs to work more. And this turn, this uh, uh, aortic regorge murmur into a very hyperdynamic condition of the body. Yes. Uh, ventricular tachycardia? Uh, fibrillation? Maybe when, when you have a dilated myocardium is when these fibers doesn't respond, right? So, of course, it's a distortion of but needs to be a very bad and during a lot of time. Okay, some other causes 
you can describe the, you know, starting by the I don't know why and uh, the rest of them. But yes, makes sense. Okay, so, oh, look at this. This is very interesting. Uh, in the case of pressure overload, pressure overload, I want you to understand this. I don't care if I don't finish this thing, but I want you to understand pressure overload. What is this? How you, you, you can interpret this? Pressure overload, how you uh, do the interpretation of a pressure overload? Huh? How, uh, what happened here? Beautiful, beautiful, increase after load. This is very important. Increase after load, and the concept of after load is crucial, guys, okay? For example, hand grip, the sustained hand grip. What is gonna do to the heart? Increase the after load, increase the after load, okay? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Who's gonna be heard higher with the, the hand grip? No. Why? Why? Why regurgitation? We are talking about afterload. Uh, um, okay, look at this. You have a venous return, right? then you, rece you receive certain amount of blood. Right. This blood goes to the right ventricle. Okay, then we, a little bit remain. Diastole is a little bit longer than systole, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, how much effort needs the, the right ventricle to send the blood across this pulmonary trunk? Not too Not much. much, not too much. If we talk about the other side, okay? We're talking about the other side. When, uh, when we have this amount of blood coming into the left ventricle, from the left atrium, and this blood need to be pushed against a very close valve, and we are increasing this afterload, what is gonna happen? you have more effort to open the, the valve. Here you go. Here you go. Okay, then the valve is closed. The valve is tight. If you have enough amount of blood, in the case of regorge, mm -hmm. in the case of regorge, what type of, um, what type of uh, a murmur are the mitral regurgitation and tricuspid regurgitation? Huh? They are systolic. They are systolic. What happens when we do a hand grip? It's gonna increase or it's gonna diminish? Huh? Ay, Dios mío. 
Okay, let's continue. Let's continue to that. I, I, I want you to think about it. Okay? So, let's continue to that. Let's go over the fountain over here. The hard sound. Oh, the variation of hard sound. Uh, we know the normal variation. S1 is softer than S2. And uh, S2 is um, uh, sometimes louder. Uh, another variation is accentuated S1 in the case of tachycardia and with this characteristic in the EKG when we are exercising anemia hyperthyroidism. We have a diminished S1, okay? So in severe aortic regurgitation, severe aortic regurgitation, in the varying S1, uh, we have this in atrial, atrial fibrillation for obvious reason, okay? And the split S1, we have a delay of the tricuspid valve closure, and this is gonna increase the splitting of the S1. Remember in S1, we have Who's gonna close first and second? S1, S1, S1 is tricuspid and mitral, okay? S1, S2 <laughs> is aortic and pulmonic. Ay, 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 don't, don't, déjame no traer la cabeza, okay. So guys, please. Again, S1, atrioventricular, S2, the semilunar, okay? Then A2, P2, aortic 2 because S2, and pulmonic 2 because S2, okay? And the pathologic splitting. A pathologic splitting is a wide one of S2, and uh, we have a fixed splitting in the case of a prolonged ventricular systole in the atrial septal defect. What is this? We have a, a hole between the, the atria, right? Mm -hmm. At the very beginning, this was made in, in, the, in the first eight week of formation of the embryo, right? right? We have a septum primum with the foramen primum, uh, or ostium primum, a little hole. And afterward, we have a septum secundum covering this little hole over here, and the septum and the ostium secundum over here. Either way, is the lower than that remain open or the upper one that remain open. This is during the embryological formation, okay? So, who's, ha who's having more pressure? The left atrium. Yeah. And we have the right atrium over here. The right atrium at this point is receiving the blood from the superior and inferior vena cavity. 
and all the blood from the coronary sinus, right? And at, at the same time, it's receiving the blood from the left atrium. Then what happens is the pressure in the right atrium with the time increases and the volume increases. And it's, it's, it's unlikely to do the Eisenmenger syndrome, but depend the uh, the degree of the communication. And a patient with uh, atrial septal defection. And it, the patient is gonna develop what if we have this permanently? Ah, uh, pulmonary hypertension. Hmm. Okay, good. Yes. Would we also see JV, an increase in JVP? In the case of yes. Yeah, definitely, of course. Okay, oh, we talked about this already, and the diastolic as well, and uh, we talked about the extra hard sounds the other day, the systolic click, the ejection uh, sounds, uh, all of this we talked about, and um, what else? Oh, make sure that you know the shape. The, the shape refers to the intensity of the murmur over time. The one that is, uh, uh, you have S1, S2, right? And then during the systole, if you have, for example, a plateau, what murmur is that? And it's a holosystolic plateau, let's say, in the case of mitral regurgitation, for example, okay? The quality is how you qualify the murmur, how the murmur sounds. The intensity for, for the systolic murmurs is one to six, okay? Make sure that you know this. Um, the, and we have the diastolic murmur. What else I wanted to address? Oh, okay, here we go. The Valsalva, Valsalva has, um, uh, when, when we do Valsalva during the squatting, what happens is the volume is gonna increase because we are uh, over here, right? We are not so against the gravity force, we are together with the gravity, so we have more venous return in this position, right? What happens is during this uh, venous return, when you have an obstructive cardiomyopathy, normally the septum is thicker, right? And it's, it's just smooth against the, the ventricle, okay? Against the ventricle. When you fill the heart with blood, this septum is gonna reposition and you don't hear the murmur, okay? Oh. Another thing, I'm gonna send you uh, a whole thing about how to focus in the, in the interview for cardiovascular. Sure. Super focus. Even the family, the family history, even the personal history, all of this, okay? Super focus, yes. Can you repeat what you just said about the thicker septum? Is there. Ah, the septum of the, oh. When you have a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, the septum is, is thicker, and when the heart is empty, the septum obstructs the area. 
so you can hear the murmur. You know, much better. But when in hypertrophic uh, cardiomyopathy, when you feel the, the ventricle with blood, the, the murmur got softer. Okay? Got softer. As well as in uh, um, mitral valve prolapse. Okay? Mitral valve prolapse is considered, um, when it has a murmur, is considered um, a systolic one. Okay? When, when turning to a bad thing, um, you know, uh, is, is when uh, this uh, valve uh, is mainly damaged. So it's going to go to, anyways, uh, mitral regurgitation. Okay? But, I mean, there is a lot of people here, maybe, and you don't know you have a mitral valve prolapse. The problem is when you have an aortic valve that is uh, like a mitral valve. In, instead of three leaflets, you have two, like Samuelito. Oh, my God. Okay, then you have uh, aortic stenosis. Let me see this one. Okay, mitral valve prolapse, diminish. Uh, you have the delay of click. I mean, to have a click is not a low. You can hear a click or not, okay? But normally, when you see a vignette, you're gonna see the description of the mesostolic click in the case of uh, mitral valve prolapse, okay? Um, the standing, the strain phase of the valsalva is at the opposite, as I told you, okay? The amount of blood that goes to the head diminish. So in the case of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, the, the amount of, of blood that is going is not enough, and you can hear much better the murmur. And in the case of a patient in which you're suspicious, your patient is having a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, what do you have to ask about the family? Any sudden death in your family? Any sudden death in your family? This is a very important uh, way to ask or you know, figure out about the hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Look at the, what is happening with the aortic stenosis. When we have too much blood, Okay, Rocio, we have too much blood, we have more, or we have uh, the intensity of the murmur is gonna be huge. Aortic stenosis is huge because we have more blood fighting to go into the next step. Understand these guys, right? Are you good with this? For sure. Yes. Yeah? Okay. So, in the case of the strain phase, the, we have less volume to be ejected, so the murmur diminishes. Are we good? Okay. Um, Mr. Tapp, you know, 
how to differentiate the systolic from the diastolic. Systolic, I'm gonna radiate to the base of the heart. Diastolic radiate to the apex of the heart. Let's talk about aortic regorge. Okay, it depends, but aortic regorge is best heard at the at the base of the of the of the heart and aortic stenosis. Let me see a galavardine. No, no galavardine is is with the aortic um, uh, regurgitation uh, that I told you. Oh, yeah. So yes, I add a couple of questions. Okay. Aortic stenosis. When you have a rheumatic fever, the first valve that results damage is the mitral valve, and the last valve to be damaged is the aortic valve. Okay, but anyways, bicuspid valve, like Samuelito, calcification of the aortic valve, a lot of things. Aortic stenosis, okay? Aortic stenosis. So we have aortic sclerosis that is different. Aortic sclerosis is different. This happening in the, in the senior citizen. And we don't have the transmission to the neck, okay? In aortic sclerosis, it's, it's different. So radiation to the neck, to the apex, galavardin dissociation. Okay, what is this? is the, um, the movement of the trabecula carnae, the trabeculae carnae of the heart, is the, I mean, uh, how can I say, is the vibration of the trabeculae carnae the one that transmits the murmur in aortic stenosis to the apex of the heart. It's transmitted all over the myocardium, over there. Okay, remember, it's like a the, the, the blood is fighting to reach the aorta or pass through the aortic Okay, this is the way. Aortic regorge is at the opposite. It's Okay, it's at the opposite. So, this pulsus, parvus, and tardus is important. Oh, look at this one. Who want to read this? Vamos. Okay, do it. What is that? Aortic stenosis. Okay, why not mitral regurgitation? Mitral regurgitation through, through to the axilla. Huh? It's a holosystolic one. Okay, um, mitral stenosis. Mitral stenosis is a diastolic one. 
That's it. You, you don't even think about this because you have a crescendo, decrescendo, systolic murmur, two, two, TMI. Okay? TMI. I don't have to tell you too much. Okay? So here you go. Tricuspid regorge, why not? Yeah, yeah, but suppose that it's holosystolic, right? And it's, uh, what else? What is the characteristic over here in the tricuspid regorge? That doesn't happen in the aortic regorge, doesn't happen in the mitral regorge. Oh, snap. Uh, it's easy busy. Increases the intensity of the murmur increases when? Inspiration. Inspiration. Easy busy. Okay? Easy busy. <laughs> okay. This this is me copying things from other people. From the Miami uh, no Miller School of Medicine or Maybe you're gonna have this guy in your first, uh, in your clinical rotation, you're gonna spend a lot of time in, in the Harvey, and you're gonna be the best answering question over there, hmm. over medicine student and everybody. I'm so proud of you, every time. Oh yes, you're gonna do that. Then, we have aortic regurgitation, could be acute or chronic, rah, 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 okay? But systolic heart failure. Why systolic heart failure? Because, huh, huh, dilated, dilated. Then I cannot contract, cannot contract. I'm, I'm tight, I'm tight, I'm tight. I don't receive even any compliment. Because I'm so tight. Here you go. This is the diastolic one. When you are good diastolic person, you're open to receive things, right? I don't know. You need to use all of the things. Then uh, everything is pulsating over here, right? Everything is pulsating in aortic regorge. Aortic regorge is the same as aortic insufficiency. Okay, good. And a lot of, a lot of signs. Guess what? You better know this. Not for me, for the pants. Not for me, I don't need that. Or yes, in the lab. For example, I'm gonna ask you about this in the lab. But you better know this. Because you're gonna recognize a patient in which one of the signs is very visual, uh, visual and the other is hidden over there and you better recognize this i mean if you have a good ear you're gonna recognize of course the aortic regorge right all the characteristic mild in this case mild aortic regorge and remember we have a beautiful diastolic murmur over here uh-huh this is uh, of course uh aortic regurgitation, but look at this. A 51-year-old man with history of hypertension presents to the office with ulcerin, fatigue, and shortness of breath. 
uh, that happened with exercise over the past three to four months. Occasionally, it has accompanied his pain and is improved with rest. A physical exam, forceful apical impulse, as well as high-pitched blowing, <sighs> diastolic murmur best heard at the left external border. And we have, how we can see this in an EKG? A left ventricular hypertrophy, who tell me? How you see this in an EKG? What happened in this, no, okay. So, we don't have ST elevation. Uh, or T inversion, we are, we are good. So, which of the following is the most likely diagnosis here? Aortic regorge. Aortic regurgitation. Okay? So you won't see that ST elevation in the aortic regurgitation? No, 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 no. I'm not telling you. In this case, you didn't have that. Okay. Okay? So, guys, let's take a break of 10 minutes. And then we're going to take the quiz. And then we're going to continue. Ay! We're going to continue at home. ¿Cómo me voy de aquí? Uh, Ray, I want to go away from the oh, you want monitors. To cut off? The monitors. Ah, it's, yeah, it's right here, video. There you go. This, you know, mechanism of compensation. Because it's the way you're going to treat your patient. Okay? In the heart failure, everything goes back and goes back again and again and again and again. Because our body is sensing what? Hypotension. This is what our body is sensing. Then here you go. The kidney to secrete renin. Renin to convert angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2. Angiotensinogen that is producing the liver. Then renin is, you know, an enzyme. Converting 1 into Two that goes to the lung. And there we have an angiotensin converter enzyme that turns, uh, sorry, the one goes to the lung. Angiotensin converting that turns the one in two. And angiotensin, active angiotensin is like, a, I don't know, like a hand grenade or something like this because it's gonna explode and stimulate secretion of, uh, of aldosterone. Look at this. Uh, what else? Stimulation of this. Uh? Vasoconstriction promotes vasoconstriction. The total peripheral, total peripheral resistance is going to increase. I mean, angiotensin is crazy. Yes, it's going to stimulate the releasing of antidiuretic hormone that goes to the kidney, and in the kidney it's going to do what? Antidiuretic retain water, and aldosterone is going to go to the kidney as well, and doing what? Retaining salt. salt. It all is woo, 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 and increase the blood pressure. Increase the blood pressure, and here we go. If we have more blood coming into a heart that is not in compliance with the function, what is gonna happen to this heart? Turns worse. So, 
you need to remediate this. You need to remediate the high heart rate. You need to remediate the force of contraction. You need to tranquilo. The heart needs to be treated properly. But for this, you need, for this, you need to understand all of the things. 13% of the pants used to be 16. Okay? Brain natureti peptide is a beautiful hormone. It's not from the brain, it's from the ventricular wall. Atrial natureti peptide is necessary for brain natureti peptide. But we have around a substance degrading the brain natureti peptide. And I have the name of this medicine. Oh my God, this medicine is. The name is, let's say, the neprilysin, the neprilysin is the one breaking down the brain naturetti peptide, yeah, okay? Neprilysin. We need to stop neprilysin from doing that because brain naturetti peptide is gonna stop all of these effects we have. But we need a healthy heart to produce brain naturetti peptide. Why the name of brain naturetti peptide was isolated in the brain of apes? during uh, uh, research. So, what is the name of this medication? Oh my God. Yeah, is it the AR9? Yeah, Opogurkur. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a group of them. Yes. Uh, yes, uh, there is another one. That is, uh, I had it in here, what happened? Wait, 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 wait. Uh, oh my God, there's names. So this is a good medication because it's gonna control the rest of the thing, but you, or you're gonna use brain naturetti peptide as well, using in your patient, but more and more and more. So let me go over this a little bit, the last part, because you, you really need this. It's a lot. It's a lot of here. It's a lot. So, let me go over. Okay, the mitral bulb prolapse we have in here. Okay, mitral bulb prolapse, the main complaining of the person is palpitation. And when I am very excited and so palpitation or when the person uh, just get pregnant, okay? Because the amount of fluids is, uh, is incredible during pregnancy and here we go, okay? This is mitral valve prolapse, okay? Squading, squading, diminish. Diminish the intensity of the the click as a standing is gonna move the click closer to S1. This is mitral valve prolapse. It's a systolic murmur, okay? Look at this. After sudden standing and sudden squading, this tiny little one over here, see? It's gonna uh, go away. It's gonna uh, 
delay, be delayed during the systole. Because with a lot of blood, the prolapse is gonna be placed inside. Remember the hocum? The same thing, okay? So, opening snap, what is this? What is this? The tricuspid stenosis. If you follow in Mr. Tab, okay? It's this one, right? It's a diastolic murmur, and the opening snap mainly happen in diastolic murmurs. And in diastolic murmurs, it's rare, the thrill. We don't have thrill, okay? But we can have a combined alteration as well, okay? We can have a combined alteration. We're gonna go there. Pulmonary regorge. Uh, this is a little bit too much of information, okay? Sickle cell anemia, sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis, we know that is what type of disease, guys? It's an inflammatory disease, yes? And I mean, if you want to blame somebody, blame sarcoidosis. Okay, yes or no? Blame sarcoidosis. This is the, the uh, Graham steel murmur, the pulmonary regurgitation, okay? The murmur increases in intensity during inspiration as well as tricuspid one, okay? The tricuspid one. So this is pulmonic stenosis, pulmonic stenosis is systolic, crescendo, decrescendo, ejection murmur, ejection murmur, okay? Is often is harsh. In, se in severe pulmonic stenosis, S2 is split and P2 is diminished, okay? Then uh, when it's inaudible, the splitting cannot be heard, and uh, all of the things. Uh, where you can see this Noonan syndrome is a very interesting one. Uh, this person, I mean, the, the one with the Noonan syndrome, uh, you can see them, they, are, they have flat nose, they are, um, you know, uh, shorts hide, uh, uh, and uh, they have hocum, they have atrial septal defect sometimes, you know, is uh, pectum excavatum, pectum excavatum, okay? And they have uh, uh, teresium coli, this one, okay? A neck, webbed neck over here. Just a little bit of, you know, just in case. The ventricular septal defect. Now, this is very important. Ventricular septal defect happens when the muscular one didn't or doesn't encounter the membranous septum during the, this eight embryological formation, the eight weeks, you know? At the end, almost at the end uh, of the, the week number eight in formation in the embryo. So the muscular one cannot encounter the membranous one and leave a hole over there. Oh, now, 
the blood is gonna pass um, where, 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 from the area of higher pressure, that is left ventricle, to the right ventricle. And you don't see cyanosis at this time. The perfusion diminish because you're sending oxygenated blood into the right ventricle, okay? The perfusion diminish, you can, you know, you can have like a tiredness, this kind of things, okay? But, uh, and these create a holocystolic murmur. And where are we gonna uh, hurt this the best? At the herbs point, okay? That is the left, external margin at the third intercostal space. At the level of the herbs is where you can hear very well the, um, the ventricle septal defect. So when the time pass and you don't solve this problem, what happens is this blood that is gonna go to the right ventricle and the right ventricle is receiving blood from the right atrium at the same time, the right ventricle is gonna dilate. And the pressures inside the right ventricle at this point are bigger than the pressure in the left ventricle. And the chunk that before was from left to right, because it's abnormal, this amount of blood uh, oxygenated blood going from the left to right, right? It's abnormal, totally abnormal. Now, the blood is gonna go the other way around. The blood is gonna go, the chunk is gonna go from right to left. And this is known as Eisenmenger syndrome. In Eisenmenger syndrome, your, the distribution of the oxygen is compromised. Why is that? Who tell me? You're sending deoxygenated blood to the left ventricle, and the left ventricle is pumping this blood into the aorta and distributing this poor oxygen blood. And what happened to the coronary arteries at this point? Oh my God, poor heart, right? That is taking the 5% of the cardiac output, coronary arteries. En que reparte y reparte se lleva la mejor parte, right? It's coronary arteries. I need oxygen, give me oxygen, give me oxygen. This is Einstein-Menger syndrome. Atrial septal defect, we, we talk about this. Uh, who are you gonna hurt this the best? This one, um, the, the atrial septal defect is hurt better at the base. Okay, at the base, you know? So, um, high, uh, hypertension, pulmonary hypertension can develop from this one, okay? Uh, uh, this doesn't increase with inspiration. We're gonna have a fixed splitting. Oh, splitting, no, splitting. <laughs> Splitting is both expiratory and inspiratory phases, but doesn't change. 
with inspiration. Okay? Doesn't change with inspiration. The honking, we talk about honking a lot. Look at the look at the hypertrophic uh, septum over here. Okay? So remember, if we are standing, the murmur can hurt. The murmur intensity is higher. And you use this to differentiate between aortic stenosis and Hawken. Okay? It's like valve prolapse, mitral valve prolapse. Okay? That is going to be auscultated louder in the standing position. Okay? And all of these, when the ventricle is filled with blood, what happens is it's going to be repositioned, and you don't hear, you don't, you don't auscultate this murmur uh, at this point. Okay. Uh huh. Patent ductus arteriosus. The connect during the fetal circulation, there is a connection between the pulmonary trunk and the aortic artery. Why? Because the oxygenated blood is going to pass through the umbilical cords from the placenta, right? And this oxygenated blood is going to pass by four chunks. The, the ductus arteriosus turn in the future in, in what? In a ligament. Ligamentum arteriosum, okay? Ligamentum arteriosum. Uh, is a, is a, uh, you see this uh, pulmonary trunk together with the aorta, it's ligamentum arteriosum, okay? So if we have the ductus arteriosus continue to be open, what happened is, uh, the location is second, uh, left in the coastal space is where you can take this the best. And the, the murmur is, is a machinery one, and it's a murmur that is a continuous murmur. You heard the murmur, you also take the murmur uh, in systole and continue, some of them sometimes until the end of diastole, sometimes until the middle diastole and you know, it depends. So the radiation is toward the left clavicle. It's, it's like uh, when you place your hand or your ball, you're gonna feel like uh, electricity over there, like a cat brr, brr, doing that, right? Or the same sensation for the one that touch in your, your life, maybe Sometimes you touch a, a chunk, arteriovenous chunk for the, for the dialysis, maybe, in your life, never. Have you palpated this, what you feel over there? It's like a, no? no, a turbulence, amazing, okay? If you see somebody, oh, let, let's go, let me palpate this. Anyways, Okay, so the pitch is medium, but it's a continuous, continuous, continuous. We are mixing as well the oxygenated blood with oxygenated blood. The oxygenated blood or poor oxygen blood 
from the right ventricle, okay? And go, let's say, at the very beginning, of course, you're sending this blood to the lungs, right? And it's very difficult to send this blood to the aorta. Why? Because in the aorta, we have a higher pressure. But with the time, a todos se acostumbra uno, so the blood is gonna go there. I'm mixed, okay? I'm mixed, it's not good. Where are we gonna hear that? Left second intercostal space. Where is the radiation to? Toward left clavicle. Why all of this is so important? Because number one, you, you need to be able to determine what is happening here. Number two, because you need to pass your pants. And then if you're going to dedicate your life to cardiology, you're good. Initially, you're good, okay? So, endomethacin. Yeah, sometimes these uh, patent ductorosactyriosis come uh, with some other thing and we, we rather permit this to be open until uh, surgery, you know? Mm -hmm. Pericardial friction rub is another uh, part to be auscultated in the, in the chest, okay? Location, usually best heard in the third intercostal space Okay, next to the sternum, asking the patient to sit and lean forward, and you're gonna have the, this over there. Causes of the pericardial friction rub, a lot of them, okay? Uh, myocardial infarction, and we have a, a complication in myocardial infarction after 15 days after a myocardial infarction with this uh, pericardial, you know, rub and fever and this. What is the name of this? Have you studied this in your cardiology? Dressler syndrome. Did you study this? Dressler syndrome. Okay, anyway. Um, the radi radiation is, is minimal. The intensity is gonna vary, uh, superficial, varied intensity. It's crashing, scrapping, grating, like uh, walking on snow, okay? The same sound you're gonna have in the flora rub, the same sound. And the differential is what? We talk about this, the plural rub, stops when you ask your patient to stop from breathing. Hold your breath, <laughs> but continue, continue. This is the pericardium, it's not the floor anymore, anymore because your patient hold the breath, right? Hold the breath. Mm -hmm. So this is a differential that you can use. Make sense? The pain for these people that suffer from uh, pericarditis. The pain alleviates when the patient sit and lean forward. The pain is getting worse when your patient 
laying supine. Lay, it's laying supine, okay? It's getting worse. Uh, mention a bacterial, you know, an infection or whatever, uremia, for example, connective tissue disease. There is a lot of things that can give you a pleural, pleural rub, okay? Diaphragm is a high pitch, so diaphragm. We don't need to use the... And do you remember how we can auscultate much better S3 and S4? Who tell me that? You forgot this? Where? Where? Yeah, you know. No? Lateral, lateral decubitus and where? At the level of the apex. At the level of the apex is where you also take much better S3 and S4. Okay? <laughs> okay. So, quartation of the aorta, we talk about this a little bit in uh, PD1. Narrowing and then of the aorta, and then uh, the part of the subclavian vein and um, artery, for example, is gonna send this blood to vertebral arteries. We have a difference in pressure, and you have a radiological sign. Which one is that? You study imaging already. You forgot about that, guys? The quartation of the aorta is gonna leave a... Sorry? Higher pressure in the arms and the legs. Yeah, 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 but in imaging. No, birth peak is for achalasia. No, no. <laughs> it's something in the bone, right? We have an imprinting of the vertebral arteries in the bone and the, the intercostal arteries in the ribs because higher blood pressure, lower blood pressure, okay? The uh, late systolic ejection murmur or continuous ejection uh, if we have a collateral flow. This is cortation of the aorta. Look at the, this narrow thing over here. Oh my God, this is too much. Okay, so this is below the origin of the left subclavian artery. And then who's gonna get the, the meat? The right, right? Okay. And here you go, all the things start, okay? Uh, Classic auscultatory areas in Harvey. This is Eisen Menger. This is by Armando Hasundungan. I love this guy. I mean, sometimes he, you know, but the drawings, they are so good. Okay, Eisen Menger over here, Eisen Menger uh, syndrome. Okay. <laughs> This is the, the, the left to right shunt, left to right shunt, but then right to left shunt. And then we're gonna have, you know, 
we're going to have cyanosis and all of this later on, okay? Tetralogy of Fallot. One of the things that, one of the things that you're going to study as well are the cyanotic and non-cyanotic um, congenital cardiopathies, okay? So Tetralogy of Fallot is a cyanotic one, and here you have these four defects. Right ventricular outflow tra tract in, uh, obstruction. We're going to have right ventricular hypertrophy. We're going to have ventricular septal defect. We're going to have overriding aorta. Everything is a disaster. But you can, you can do the surgery and make this uh, much better, OK? Overriding aorta over here, right ventricular outflow tract is going to obstruct it. It's going to be obstructed. Ventricular septal defect, the, the membranose one, look at this. The right ventricular hypertrophy. And uh, this is from Rush. And you can get this from Rush. And not only that, Rush, I mean, things like this, all over the net. Okay. I think this is not working anymore, and uh, this is it. Any question, guys? Any question? No, no, any question? No question?